Good day and welcome to the Leading Conversation with me, Tom Dawson Scrib, a team and performance coach, and Carl Brown, former Blitzbox captain and now entrepreneur. We look forward to interacting with you, our listener, every week as we bring you our very special guests. As always, we encourage you to reach out to us with your feedback, questions, and opinions so as to improve the quality of insights we can elicit from our guests. Please follow us on Instagram at the.leadingconversation or our personal accounts on LinkedIn. This week, we took a turn to netball. A few years ago, I was very lucky to spend some time with Norma Plummer, legendary Australian netball coach who had come out to South Africa to take on the project of coaching the South African national side. This was not a meeting I'd forget as I could just feel and sense the vast amount of experience that Norma had and loved hearing her stories of coaching. Norman doesn't beat around the bush and is a netball purist. She managed to do some quite incredible things with the South African team, having previously done great things in Australia too. From also ran, South Africa suddenly began to challenge the best teams in the world. The surprising thing is that Norma has no magic tricks or inspirational type speeches to make this happen. Directness, an obsession with basics and a key eye for detail is what Norma stands by. I personally know next to nothing about netball, but I came away from this conversation feeling very inspired about leading and coaching, and I hope you do too. Please continue to interact with us and enjoy your listening. Great. Uh, here we are again. Carl, nice to see you. Happy New Year. Um, how, are you, how are you doing this week? Yeah, all well. Happy New Year to you too. Happy New Year to our guest, Norma, also. Welcome. Thank you, Carl. Yeah, it's, it's, it's looking, all good decider. Looking it's very one. fit there, Carl. <laughs> I'm trying to. I'm trying to stay lean, and you know that using the momentum of finishing your career, not stopping outright. So uh, it'll slow down over time, but um, at the moment, I'm just trying to keep in a decent shape. Good for you. I tr- I did that too. Yeah. But yeah. when you get into your seventies, you know, it all goes. <laughs> but nevertheless, the mind's still there. And that's all we need well, right I've... now. It's all, yeah. Well, and, well I, look, I've never been fit in athletics, so I hope the mind stays for as long as possible on my side. <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, we, we, we're very lucky to have you with us, Norma. And uh, Norma, dialing in all the way from Melbourne, um, a city where, where I was lucky to spend a little bit of time a while ago. And it's just a beautiful city and an amazing sporting space. Um, Norma, you, you, you're a great guest for us to have on because, of course, uh, you know, you come from Melbourne, Australia, the sporting, um, little mini sporting universe, but also you coach South Africa, the South African netball team. Um, and I know I have some stories and, and things from there um, that, you, that you might be able to share with us. Uh, so thank you very much for coming on today. And we look forward to, we look forward to diving into it. So maybe, maybe just as a, as a praise for people listening, tell us about your South African experience um, in as long or as short as you'd like to. Um, well, it was interesting because, uh, you know, I won the world championships with Australia in um, 2011, and that was my last event. I'd won in 2007 as well. And um, I th- it was uh, uh, Blanche Delagru who uh, had contacted me after that, after I'd finished my uh, time with Netball Australia. And... I was in Perth and Perth, um, South Africa came into Perth. Uh, they had a bit of a tri-nations there and she caught up with me and said, oh, would you come out and give a few um, pointers to the South Africans? So 
I went to a couple of their training sessions and um, and then from that, over the time, Blanche had kept asking me, could I come over and do clinics with their coaches and uh, in South Africa? But, of course, I was tied up with um, Western Australian Nepal and I was putting their program together. And mm. so, but after the three years... Um, out of the blue, uh, Blanche rings and said, well, would you come in in February? We've got our squad together and they're going off to England to play and they've had an invitation to the European Cup and um, would you come in and, you know, we're, there, we're working for three weeks. Uh, and so I did. I went over and, uh, and I was working with the players and the coaches, the three coaches they had there. And um, I think they all enjoyed it. And then I... Came home, didn't think really much about it until it was about a month out of the World Series in uh, 2015 and um, they phoned and said, look, will you come and coach us and um, take the team to the World Championships in New Zealand? <clears throat> Sorry, in Australia. Um, and I said, well... Only had a month, but they they had a squad of about fifteen. Yeah, and then they decided they'd have a quick um, weekend with uh, Zimbabwe, Malawi, and Uganda, and they put this little round robin weekend on, so I could have a good look at the players. And I I think I was running about sixteen and putting them off and on, and um, it was very interesting because. Um, you know, the players, and, and I'll use Carla Pretorius as an example, who's now a megastar in the game, you know. But uh, the very first match, I said to Carla, look, I want you to go out and actually sit on this goal attack. She's quite damaging. Don't give her any space, really work and make a play for every ball. By the end of the first quarter, Uganda's keeping up with us. And uh, I don't think she did one thing I asked. So <laughs> she came off and I said, uh, well, that was interesting, Carla. I said, um, you know, we're, we're in a situation where they're sort of even with us now. And I said, and the goal attack's doing a fair bit of damage. And I did ask you to sit on her and take her out of the game. Now, listen, Carla, there's three other defenders on this bench that might go out and take on that um, job for me. If you if you feel you can't handle this player, you know, I can sub you off if you like. So she's looking at me, and, of course, she's then a lot of them weren't handled, handling me. So this is the direct bit you're getting, right, to players, and they wouldn't be used to that at all. She went out and she nullified this goal attack, I kid you not, she was absolutely outstanding. She wins player of the match. And I think to win player of the match, they got a little check of 3,000 brand, <clears throat> which is about $300 here. And anyway, <laughs> at the end of it, uh, and we finished up, we won the whole series. And um, I can remember when she was out there getting a check and when she came back, I said, oh, by the way, Carla, I said, uh, I think you owe me half of that check. I said, because you wouldn't have got it if you hadn't have gone out and done what you were told. <laughs> so that started the ball rolling. They started to get a, an idea that I, I wasn't there to 
um, you know, just make them like put them on court and play. I was there to teach them, A, what a game plan is, B, Mm. how good you can be if you can play not just one style, that you have a lot of options in your game because, and you'd probably know this, Carl, you can go out on the field and you can get someone who might just have the wood over you for that day. Now, this is what I learned as a player. If anyone I felt was really pushed me or beat me for the day, they never got me twice. I would study their game because players and, and, look, all the years that I've coached and if you watch all different sports, they all have favourite moves, right? So if you can identify the favourite moves and cut that out of their game, they start to panic because they're not getting the flow of what they're used to on court. So this is the sort of um, introduction I was trying to give to the South Africans to understand that there was more than one way and you had to actually analyse your opponent, physically your personal opponent, a lot better and find that weakness because it can, sh- it can change their whole game. It's really interesting and I've studied it. I played it as a player. That doesn't change. I don't care. You know, I've been off the court since about 83 or 85, but that doesn't change. I've been able to uh, embrace that with a lot of players, how to go back out and nullify their opposition um, opponents. So they're the sort of things I was working with South Africa. Norma, the um, I mean, that was all about building confidence. I mean, that for for well, most players, that's about building confidence as you get into the game. Because I mean, I think you go in with a a certain level of preparation and and how you feel throughout the week, and then you use those, like you were saying, those go to favorite moves to build your confidence. You know, and like in rugby, it was you know try get your if you wanted to tackle somebody first, was try get your good first hit in, and then then your game would start to flow from there. And you're hundred percent right. I mean, like if if uh, if you could nullify that person's go-to move and they just couldn't, you know, they couldn't get going, it would feel like they, they're just pushing through the whole time and they wouldn't find that flow. So it's pretty cool. But, pretty Carl, cool. do you know, I don't think I've ever heard any of the coaches in any of their talks talk to players about these things. I don't know. I mean, it, I'm yeah, talking yeah. netball here, not so much other sports. But, um, you know, I think um, if you can give a player more than one option on how to play, you usually have their um, confidence like for the whole time you coach them because if they feel they're really struggling um, and they need just that one thing that might lift it, you know, you can give a, a player that, gee whiz, it makes a big difference. Doesn't a lot of that come down to how much time you're able to spend with the players? I mean, so many coaches are so focused on on just perfecting one game plan or one style of play that they they often don't tend to focus on anything else, you know. Yeah, I like, but everything has to be done at training, and yeah, yeah. Um, but once you you know, um, I never move away from basics, and I think any coach that's ever really coached that knows the deal. If you can't catch and throw and use your footwork, you're never going to be able to pull off anything. So, you know, having the skills for your own game and um, being competent at that, I see a lot of coaches don't coach that. They don't coach. So netball, it's passing the ball out in front 
And that with South Africa was what I call um, just a bit of a chuck, you know, wasn't passing the ball. And I had to work them all the time on, no, 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 you're dropping your standard. Even we're in a warm-up, this ball has to ping. This ball has to be placed. So I never gave them a chance to be sloppy. I told them that they could beat and compete with any single athlete in the world if they actually took control of their own skills and were more conscientious of what they were doing with the ball and passing it because they definitely just were heaving balls. Balls were going out the side courts. Well, once you go up the ladder, that gets you nowhere. It's all right if you're playing, you know, Z grade, but if you're playing international and you're playing in the World Cup, you need to be able to absolutely um, pass that ball for precision. And so it's so important that they understood that and they got better and better at it. So if there was any warm-up they were ever having and I could see it was dropping, I'd just call out, okay, stop. And I had made Bongi as captain. She had to pull them in and tell them to pick it up and to stop just passing the ball off and make sure that, and if they did start dropping balls, they introduced often like a disciplinary for themselves they drop the ball, they'd have to run sideline to sideline and then back and start again. So yeah. once players start to get an understanding, they often then put their own disciplinary measures in to be able to understand that they've all got to be better, you know. It's really great to watch the growth in that. It's really good. How is that process? How long does that normally take? Because I, I think I heard you speak about you know, you're able to give players a certain level of control. I mean, I think this was on-field performance that you're talking about and, and how players are able to analyze the game and, and change up the game. But often, you know, I think a lot of coaches nowadays want to try and make themselves redundant as quickly as possible. But coaches are able to see things from a completely different perspective from the sideline. So when, when and how much uh, emphasis are you placing on those players within the team changing things up or taking control of situations like that? Because... As a coach, sometimes it's just necessary for you to step in and say, no, this is just rubbish, you know, or, or do you allow the players to, uh, to, to take control of that? Uh, I'm not one of the, um, I know uh, there's a lot of sports science have put it out now that, you know, let the players play. Well, um, I saw the demise of a top side at the Commonwealth Games uh, in 2018 where the coach was living that type of, <clears throat> coaching um, philosophy and honestly it was sad to watch if you've got a team that's been together for and they're more senior players and they've been together like eight ten years and they're building and they're going they've really hit their straps you know you might only have to then you know tactically um, give them a couple of things but if you've got um a, a group that you've had together only like a couple of training sessions and even then, um, even after 12 months, and you have younger players, you can't expect that younger player to go out and know yeah. how to slot in with the, um, with the team, especially the connections. So I'm a big one for um, making them, we call them uh, systems and backline throw-ins. 
So they have to bring the ball down the court because everybody in netball has a position to play and it's space awareness. And what you would get when, it, when they didn't have any idea when it was um, upon them to make the move and when to clear out and when to make the fast break, um, you, what, what you get is chaos and everybody running on top of one another. So every single session for the whole four years that I had, and mind you, we only had them three times a year. I didn't live in South Africa. But every training session for the last 15, 20 minutes, we did systems. And it was interesting because um, they were very limited on how they structured themselves. They didn't, and this is what I'm talking about, options. So if you're throwing it into the back line, it could have been that they was they were losing um, two out of three because they'd have everybody moving at once. Well, that's what you don't want. You want your first option, and if and the and the feeder has to identify if that option's any good. If it's not, the second option's in. Then there's the third option, and they all work off one another. And you're not crowding the space. You're giving the feeder the opportunity to have you know look beyond. Um, and not three moves at once, which is what they were doing. So over that time, I can remember, you know, and I did it with Australia for the whole eight years I coached Australia for all my club coaching. And honestly, to work a ball down the court, and a few people have said to me, yeah, but you haven't got any defence on it. I said, I oh, know, because we don't need the defence on this. We need connection with one another. They need to know if this player's driving there, where's my option? Where's my option? And then gradually but surely you would add passive defence and build it up. And then by that time, and they'd say, oh, well, you know, um, why don't you put defence on? I said, well, we may as well just play a game. I want them to learn how the game can be structured but not with one option. How many options you have from one area that the ball comes out from the thrower, how many options you would have to be able to get that ball through. So it was teaching them all that. So I would, wouldn't matter if I was taking over South Africa again or the Australian team, I would be working um, at those last 15 minutes of a two-hour training session, we would be doing those systems. And South Africa just would take it up to Australia. We took the ball down the court better than them sometimes because they really got onto it. And I know the national coach for Australia wasn't doing it anymore. So, yeah. I could, like, I mean, they only got us by two goals at World Champs. If we'd have won that, we'd have played in for the gold medal. So, yeah. you know... It's, no. It really um, it just builds confidence on how your team learn to read off one another and feed off one another. So yeah. they're big for me. Norma, um, very briefly, uh, South Africans' ability when you took them over relative to Australia, the New Zealand, the big time, I mean, was the gap fast? Oh, yeah. Okay. See, um, when I first took over, Australia and New Zealand, England would, and it's on record, I looked up all the past um, test matches over all the years. Oh, there's a guy and he's an Australian, but he's in New Zealand and he's got all the stats, you know, right back from when netball started. And um, uh, South Africa used to be beaten anywhere between um, 33 and 55 goals. 
So my first objective was to make them a team and learn, teach them how to, we, we didn't have to worry about the wind, but we were going to close that gap and bring those score lines down. And it happened. And it, it gradually but surely, uh, because in the past it would have been like New Zealand or England, they'd put on their weaker team against the South African team. Well, now they couldn't afford to do it. Right, so the respect started, started to come. The players understood they could compete. And gradually but surely, um, like we are bringing down, Australia only giving us by two or three. We, we got New Zealand once um, and we'd beaten New, uh, England twice. We drew with England on another occasion but lost in the playoff. Uh, the same with Australia. We, we drew with them but then they got us when you have to play that extra time that we have and that's again a learning curve they needed to be able to handle the pressure and that all comes down to competition that's something South Africa doesn't have and that's why it was very important that I could get those players out to go and play overseas because the South African competition doesn't apply pressure it's um, nothing like playing in the Australian League. Yeah. And now you've got Pumza Mawaili and you've got Lanise Potgita, um, Shadeen Vandermeer and um, uh, Carla. You know, they're all household names because, and they are so good. They're like first picked in the teams in Australia now. They wow, have wow. picked up the pace so well because they're athletes. They're excellent athletes. They just needed to have the know-how. Yeah, and Norma. Yeah, I mean that's fascinating. I, I remember sort of following following the, the progress a little bit subsequent to us meeting. Um, so so I, I've sort of I feel like I've got so much pressy into your leadership style and your thinking already. Um, the I remember reading a lot about this academy, uh, a tennis academy in Russia called the Spartak Tennis Academy, which is basically in terms of number one seeds that they've produced has been the most successful tennis academy in the world. And one of the things that they do is they get kids in quite young and they don't play a match for two years. They just practice the basics, 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 basics. So, and then they feel because if you don't play a match for a long time, then you don't worry so much about the results. You worry about your technique. And then they, they, their philosophy and belief was that that then leads to success. Now, I'm hearing some similar things with you. Like I'm hearing that if I took over a team or a business for that matter that's battling, I'm going to focus on basics and options. Is it, would that be a fair summarization of what you what you think? Yeah, because I was um, Australian under-21 coach at the Australian Institute of Sport um, for, well, I had the team for about nine years. We won two world championships or world youth cups, but I then introduced taking that program into the Australian Institute of Sport for five years and, you know, full-time scholarship. Now you're coaching these players every day. They live in and uh, it's their life. So, And then we would um, go off and play um, matches on the weekend and um, we had like what we called our National League, which was called the Commonwealth Bank Trophy. And so when these young players first come in, you know, most of them haven't done weights programs. They've never done agility, you know, or any fitness there. And basically they're as green as. And I can remember uh, our first season and we, our first match, and we'd had about, oh, probably a couple of months together, but our first match was against um, Swifts, which was 
all of the practically national players. And, of course, we're beaten by 20 goals. But from that, as I said to the players, now, and just what I said with South Africa, you see, we, we waste that much with the ball, plus their moves, they're making umpteen moves when they didn't need to because they didn't understand how to feed off one another. That was really interesting because in the second round and we went to Sydney to play them, we beat them and the players just did a, a sensational job and that was purely teaching them to be able to, you know, work the ball, placement, again, um, work off each other and timing of the leads. Uh, it was just It was just fantastic. Because they all said that the AIS, uh, being a development team, wouldn't do any good. Well, we finished fifth in the competition. And that was just purely because we did so much of those basics. Mm -hmm. You know, day in, day out, plus, you know, building them up. And, of course, you're doing individuals, and the individuals are very uh, – uh, the players love those. So it's really structured around their own area, you know, the shooting technique or defence, uh, you know, um, just working the area, the defence of the shot, um, the agility of it, um, the aerial skills, when to come out, to intercept, when not to. So individuals were always factored in at least three times a week. So a normal training session, so you have the week Sunday off and then Monday they'd uh, have a weight session uh, early in the morning. Then we'd have, you know, maybe a centre court individual about 11 o'clock and in that afternoon, late afternoon, we'd have the team training. And then on the Tuesday we might have had more individuals and then the team training in the afternoon. So they weren't on court all the time in every session, but except for the team session, but the other sessions were purely structured around teaching about the era they play and, you know, the skills they needed for that. Mm. So, so can I, can I, yeah, no, carry on. No, well, that's, but to me, um, players love to know about their area and how to work hard and, you know, um, when they should take the drive, how to take the front cut, you know, the, and it was all that sort of work because you could specialise it with about three players that worked that area. Gave yeah, great yeah. connection. It's interesting because, you know, you, you, you think about, if I think about a company that's battling or I think about a team that's battling, um, you know, I may think of going in with a sort of Churchillian type speech or bring a new vision or some passion or some inspiration, which I'm sure you did bring. Um, but basics and options were the foundation. What I wanted to know is, so then what did your communication with the players look like in terms of motivating them? You spoke about, um, you know, we didn't have to worry about, with South Africa, we didn't have to worry about winning because we weren't going to win, but we had to bring the score lines down. Now, I remember having a conversation with a former Springbok rugby coach, Nick Mallet, and he coached Italy. Um, and Italy were never going to beat most teams. And he said he would get them really excited about, instead of losing by 25 points, the goal was to lose by 15 
And I was like, God, who wants to lose by less? But he said he could, he could get those guys really excited to lose by less. So I wanted to know for you, what was your kind of narrative around motivating and inspiring or is your around inspiring these sort of, so to, so to speak, underdog teams that you've coached? Yeah, you see, Tom, everything I've just said to you, you have to do it on the court. You have to do it in training. I could be the greatest motivational speaker of all times. And I can tell you now, I, I could give a, an address that was inspiring and everything, but and I think Kyle would understand this. If you haven't done the work, if your fitness is not there and you're going up yeah. against the best in the world, if you can't handle absolute pressure, that that talk lasts two minutes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're on the court, then they start to fade because they can't handle the pressure that's being passed on to them. They had to be able to cope with that pressure and know that um, mm-hmm. it was okay to have somebody on your tail but your teammate could still feed you that ball. See, they wouldn't, they wouldn't feed any, any balls that were nice and close. So you had to do it at training and teach them how to take the knock. We often use uh, the tackle bags, you know, for them to hit off and bounce off. So they got used to um, having uh, people around them working it hard, and, but they still had to come through and get the ball and, yeah. and take that fear factor away from them. And I think, um, you know, when I said about, you know, dropping the score lines, we did. But it got down to um, the, my last year, uh, 2019, and the start of that first um, camp we had, I, I did say to them then, well, ladies, the um, honeymoon's over. This is the really hard stuff and I'm not holding back. And what I meant from that was, you know, there was a certain direction I could give to the shooters. And I can remember, you know, in one break at quarter time, and this is in a, a game at World Champs, when as they came off, I took them down the tunnel because you don't want the crowd looking at it. But I just said, I'd given the um, direction, let's put up the shots. We need to get the shots up. Because if you're not putting them up, we'll lose the ball. They wanted to dish it off. And if you keep dishing the ball off to try and re, um, restructure or reset, and the more op- opportunities you give the, the opposition defence, you can lose so many balls. And I wanted them to go to the post. So <laughs> when they came out, I just said, well, that's it. What part of shoot? Do you not get because we were five goals up and we had five minutes left in that first quarter and next minute they're dishing off the ball, you know, like things like so they've all gone wild, like sitting back. And I think they said to my assistant coach, oh, we've never seen normal like that. And she said, well, this is the real stuff. You need to start to understand we've put a lot of time in here and yet so capable of doing it. So if we had not have um, finished up, like in that first quarter, we let Australia back in the door and we went out with only one goal in front, there's four goals that we might have got over the line instead of losing by two, you know, um, that we'd taken Australia to. So I had to uh, (coughs) 
nurse them along. So you you get them along and you're really nice and you explain everything all the time. But when when it came to crunch and they were starting to understand what it was all about, you know, over four years, they knew what they were they were up against. So yeah, then the harder stuff came, you know. But you're always trying to give very positive feedback, but occasionally it didn't hurt to rev them up. But you have to pick your time. But you, you could actually blow yourself out. Well, you have to pick your time that you do that because so, you you and you've got to pick your player. Yeah. Because yeah. if you did it to a certain player, she might fall in a heap. But mm-hmm. if you can did it did it to a stronger player that knew better, they would handle it. Mm-hmm. But then you also had to pick the time in the game that you could actually give that little blast, but then get, you know, we had the rest of the game and we were building the whole time. Mm -hmm. I was so proud of them in that match. They were fantastic. But it's hard for me to explain to you, Tom, everything comes off the top of my head because I was playing coach nearly all my life, even for the uh, uh, state team. Um. Winning, and I didn't have to wait a quarter time or half time to tell them what to do. I was on court directing it and and doing it, and um, so a lot of it comes off me on how I read the game, and it's 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 not as I said to you, it's not um, uh, the political correct, um, you know, off the level three manual. It's <laughs> mine is so different. It's how I study opposition and players. But it's interesting, Carl, and I know you've got a question. Uh, even in our last guest that we had, um, you know, a lot of the talk is why do we wait so long for feedback? Uh, and you see it in you see it in a lot of organi- I mean, you see it in companies. They as, have a as a coach, hey, Tom? Uh, yeah, sorry, as a coach or as a leader or even or even as a collective of players. So why should we wait till the end of season review to have the harsh feedback? Why should we wait till twice a year when we have our performance review at work to give that feedback? It needs to. I mean, Norma, you know, you, you sort of apologize that sometimes it comes off. But I think obviously feedback needs to be done well. But the regularity of feedback is so important. So I was listening to a, a, a conversation with your compatriot, um, Paul Roos, who coached obviously in Melbourne and in, um, in Sydney very successfully. And Norma, he spoke about the importance uh, of of culture being the conversations that you're willing to walk past and that if there's something that needs to be said you need to say it and that doesn't mean you have to necessarily chastise a player or a, or an assistant coach for that matter or a colleague you don't have to chastise them but if something's up you need to say it you know i i, I i'm i'm currently working with a rugby team and, and i thought about it after i had listened to this paul Roos conversation where there have been four occasions uh, in a particular campaign where there have been absolute moments of stupidity from that person, from a person in the team. That has, that has had a consequence to the team on field. Now, what you could have done is we could say, we could chastise them afterwards in a team meeting, but maybe they don't need chastising because maybe they realize they did something wrong, but still something needs to be said. And I would, I would surmise that it needs to be said by their colleagues, by their peers, by their teammates, and maybe not even by a coach. Because once you can get players to hold themselves to certain standards in the moment, I think that's when your culture starts to, to step up. I don't know, Carl, you, you have a, a thought on that. No, no, I, I agree. I mean, like, the, the, there are certain levels and certain standards that, that um, 
that are agreed upon. It's not something that you just suck out of the air. It's things that you talk about before. It's uh, it's the way that things are done. I mean, that's that's what we've spoken about in culture about the past. Is that culture is essentially the way things are done on a day to day basis. And it's like you said, things that you can't just turn a blind eye to anymore. That's behaviors that are going to are, are sort of universal throughout the team, whether it's on the field or off the field. That you once you walk past them, uh, that's when you start dropping your standards. Once you, you ignore them or you turn a blind eye to them and you decide, that's when you've decided that those aren't worth living up to anymore. So, um, mm. well, actually what I wanted to talk about earlier on, on uh, Norma's point was the, talking about those basics again and that level of that base level of confidence when going into a game. Norma, you were saying, you know, when, when you approach a match, it doesn't matter how, how much of a rev up speech you've given a team. If they know that they haven't done the prep work before, there there is no pathway forward for you. I mean, it's one shot in a million that you'll go off and, and win it, you know, win a game based on luck and Hail Marys. But the fact of the matter is you've got so much work to do before you even step onto the field. And then it, it, it shouldn't really even matter if you like you, you say that you, you give a Churchill speech or a gladiator speech or a Braveheart speech and that stuff doesn't matter at the end of the day. The, the work needs to be done on, you know, on the training pitch over and over and over again. And that's when you walk on with a, um, with a great level of confidence. And then, then it's all about just minor tweaks going into the game. It's repetition, Carl. Yeah. You know, um, you can't, like if we introduced a, a new drill or um, introduced a new play or something like that, it, it, you can't, just run that like once or twice and expect the players all to get it. Um, yeah. That has to be repetition, 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 if you want it to come off in the game, you know. So, um, and again, that's the, the, over the years I've, I've looked at it. So it's, it's got to be um, a lot of, as, as I say, those systems are repetition, repetition, but it just builds such confidence. So if you don't have to think about what you're going to do or what move you're going to make because you're reading what's coming down in front of you and you're reading off that, but you yeah. really don't have to think, oh, what should I do now? I mean, it's just all connected and that connection just makes the team move. And once they've got that confidence with one another, so it, look, it's, it was just brilliant to watch South Africa you know, over those years, stand up and the rest of the world going, well, look at the team. And the girls realising they're as good as any other country and also they were sought after. I was getting phone yeah. call after phone call to, you know, see if they could um, have <laughs> imports in you know, England, New Zealand and Australia. So um, it's it, it's just a matter of teaching them that they can be as good and but with that just going back that little bit of feedback um you know because oh yes they all want the feedback and um i can remember um um uh what's his name dean's coach um the all blacks robbie 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 yeah 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 well um i had a sit down chat with him once and he said he'd um He'd finish with doing uh, the individual, you know, chat backs and uh, he only would do team. He, he was over all of that. He said it, as far as he was concerned, it, it wasn't worth it. But my the way I approached a lot of that was, you know, any player that wanted to talk to me, was uh, the door was open to come in 
yeah. I wouldn't have feedback after every training session. It would be more after matches. But when we were on the court and when we were training, and if I stopped it because there was something I felt just they, they were just messing up, I'd say to them, now, listen, this is the feedback. This is the feedback. And then, you know, structured to tell them how they needed to handle that, whether it was poor passing, whether that should have been a bounce passing, whether they overcooking the long ball, whatever that situation was, it was saying to them, this is the feedback. Now let's go back and then bring it through. Because um, th that to me is what was going to make them better, not me sitting in a room with them all the time going, well, mm. um, you know, we can give you more specialist work on your footwork or whatever. Like, um, it'd be more about them having to uh, open up to me about if they had issues, if things weren't working, uh, relationships within the team. You don't often it'd go that way. Not so much that they had an issue, you know, on on court. And another thing, <laughs> again, this is probably the direct bit, uh, Kyle was. <laughs> Once I selected a team, I would always say that it was performance-based. Everything we do, you're selected on performance-based, no matter what position you feel you hold in this team. I'm not a coach that will make a team suffer if the captain or vice-captain are having a bad day. They will be subbed just like everybody else. Where I had to win with a lot of the South Africans is because that actually happened and I did take the um, captain off in one game and I, they were all in shock. But she was hadn't told us she was crook. She was sick. This was very early days. Um, yeah. And she, she – because um, she was playing bad. So I took her off. And then after the game I said, well, I've just found out you were ill. So I said to her, that's not going to work with me. You need to tell me. That's unfair to the team. This is about performance-based. Once they all got onto that, it didn't matter if you were black, white, pink, purple with polka dots. If your game wasn't on, it wasn't personal, it was what we had to sub in for the team to keep the team going. Yeah. Now, I might let's have, and I took Bungi off quite a few times and I'd sit her there and say, watch this, this is where you're actually getting clogged up. Now you need to go out and, and roll off and take the other pocket, something like that I might have said. So it didn't mean she didn't go back on. Yeah. But the minute that um, uh, everybody thinks... Um, that if, if a player, and all players can have a bad game. It's not personal. So even like Liz Ellis, who uh, was my captain, you probably have heard of that one, Tom, Liz Ellis, who's the radio and like bigger than Ben Hur here. Um, she, <laughs> um, like, you know, with Liz, Liz understood that. Uh, and um, it was very important that the rest of the team stood, understood um, because Coaches have favourites. I've seen it so often and I've seen matches lost because they wouldn't take that player off and I think that's that's cruel. You're, you're there coaching 12 players and if you can win that match and you didn't make the sub when you should have, well, I think that's on your head myself. Norma, can I ask then, so it's, it's performance-based selections, fine. I, I completely agree with that and I understand that. Um, we really early on in this discussion, we spoke about people who don't 
fit in and you, you weren't sure how to approach those conversations when even though their performance was fine, you didn't really have a reason to give them as to why they were dropped. How, how did you deal with those conversations? Oh, sorry, you, you misunderstood me. That's what I told them. They did everything right. They yeah. did everything right. That's exactly what I said to the player. It's just that the combination in that area was better with the other three. So yeah. I would say to her, you need to look at, you know, um, how you're going to be able to slot in because when you come into a national selection, you're coming in naturally with players from different clubs. So they all yeah. have different styles. So she had to get smarter on how she was going to feed off that. Now, I wasn't going to be able to coach. Like that, that was a, maybe I'd had it for two camps and then we had to select the team, but then she goes back to her club. I would feed, give the feedback to the coaches. I always gave feedback to all of the National League coaches of their players after a camp. That's one thing I did do on their performance and how they were going, and especially if they missed out we would give that coach that opportunity to understand why that her player wasn't selected. And as I said, it's, it's, um, it's because sometimes they play one style, you see, they, and they couldn't adjust to the, the other um, different movers yeah. around them. So that was the issue. So I, I would always say to them, you need to actually sit and study and watch the players in your own area and, and sit there and work out how you're going to do it. It's not rocket science and it's not a designed move. It's mm. being able to read off the player in front or if you want to go for the ball that you're not cutting the other player out that already had the straight line to the ball, what was your next move? When should you have pulled out? So it was, it was things like that so but they their fitness levels um everything they did you know was right up there but just didn't fit in with that combination we, we actually used to speak so much about adaptability um as uh, one of our coaches uh, paul true used to talk a lot about adaptability and and it sort of screams volumes when when you are entering a different setup from that is filled with players from different uh, other different teams, like you're talking about different club teams where a national team comes together. And if you're not adaptable enough um, to, to join and fit in with that setup, say you've, you know, you've paired up with three other girls from one club and you're alone, but you're playing a slightly different style. If you're not able to adapt, that's exactly the issue. It doesn't matter how good you are. If you're not fitting into that combination, um, it's a bit of a problem, you know, and I think that that extends to so many different reaches in life, you know, whether you're in a business environment or work environment or, or sports environment, if you're not, yes, there are general tenants that you take in as you being you, but you have to become part of the whole also and, and bring your best parts. And if you're not fitting into the whole, you know, you can't be part of the whole and then you can't bring your best parts. So that, that adaptability is so key. Mm. And, and of course, that's in a selection for... Um, you know, especially the Aussie team because, you know, they um, such a high standard. Uh, with um, some like South Africa, um, I would go on uh, possibly, so Bungi, for instance, used to run around all over the place and I had to teach her how to structure herself better. She would be you know, still up the defence end when we needed her feeding into the attack line. And I said to her, yeah. she was running centre. I said, what are you doing up there? She said, oh, I'd cleared out. 
I said, you know, you should clearing out. You're the centre player. You're the one that needs to bring the ball through, madam. So yeah. I needed to teach her how to be, um, as I said, have someone on her shoulder to be, still be able to make her moves. She was clearing out thinking she could get away from her opponent. She'd have a better run. But by the time she got down to the mm. attack end, the play was already over because she wasn't in the position to actually make an impact. So... So with South Africa, they're the sort of things the systems did, Kyle. The systems taught them how they could do it, you see, and bringing the ball down. So, um, yeah, with the Australian team, uh, yeah, you've got such a high standard there of players. Uh, you, like the B team could sometimes nearly take the A team. They're that good, you know, like you're, you're in a position of having – a lot of cream to select from. Yeah. And the, the worst part about all of that is you're dealing with athletes' lives. And I actually hated having to, you know, tell a player that she did everything right and it, but still didn't make it. It, it yeah. sort of seems cruel. But, again, I, I couldn't tell her to go off and work on her footwork when the footwork wasn't the issue. That was, you know, the connection. So... I mean, you've got to be honest, I think. And I've had a lot of players um, always come back and say to me, well, you never told me um, any, what they used to call porky pies. You told me how it was. <laughs> and, um, you know, that's, that, that was fantastic. And a lot of those players still made the national team later, you know, just because they missed out that time. They did go off and structure themselves maybe a bit better. And structure is probably not the word, but... They did go off and think about their game and and uh, their connections on how they were going to do that. Mm. So, mm. yeah. Norma, it's um, I'm, I'm, oh, I, I must say you, you you've you've left me very inspired to coach. Um, in, a, in, in, in a, and I really mean that. Like I I, I really have loved the way you've spoken about what you do in a very matter of fact way, and it's it's felt quite inspiring. One thing that I wanted to note: you talk about connections. You've said it a few times. Uh, Professor Peter Hawkins, who's one of the world leaders in team coaching, I've spoken about before on this podcast, talks about in teamwork of any ilk, uh, you should focus more on the dance than the dancer. And I think it's, you know, it's been confirmed by what you said as well. You know, it's, it's, it's largely about the connections. And, and often, obviously, Kyle and I have done a lot of, or Kyle played, and it's a lot of work in rugby. And whenever I hear people talking about just do your job, it always concerns me slightly because of what that means. So I can run around on a rugby field or an netball court or whatever and just do my job. I can, I can, I can, you know, I can put in a lot of effort and do my thing and walk off the field and get a tick from the coach for my effort and for the fact that I pass ball. But actually, has my job in my job description enabled great connection? Uh, and, and through the way we co- and what well, sorry? That'd depend. He might have said, do your job. And he gave you a specific job on the day. And if you weren't doing it, that it could have been that's what he meant. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's often 
Yeah, I mean, I think, I think obviously, if if do your job is the last thing you say, but in the way you've coached, you've coached as combinations and collections. I think that's great. I think often we look at there's still a belief out there that you know if we get a lot of good individuals and we put them together, they'll be fine. You know, so long as so long as people give their best, and I think. Certainly what you've said today is like, no, actually, you might be giving your best and you might be working, but the connections are the, are, are the, are the key tenants. Yeah, so, but also, um, <laughs> just to add to that, um, when he, if, if I said to him, do your job, um, and I, I had given a specific job to Carla, if you remember. Yeah, I, I did. Her, yeah, right. The microphone in the break is hanging just above my head. So you might want to say, I told you to sit on that player because that's all going to air and you just uh, don't know, and I know New Zealand are very good on giving feedback <laughs> to the, the coach's bench of your opposition that you're just, you know, you've got to be very careful. So it's not, <laughs> you, you've, you can't always think, oh, all she said was, you know, do your job, that, do your job. To Carla was well and truly she knew that she didn't do the job that I'd asked. Yeah. You know, so yeah, no, that's just you. another side of it from a coaching point of view. You see, you, the media, especially New Zealand, they're all over it. And Kyle probably know though you played in New Zealand. Yeah, uh, we, I think played ten years there, um, Wellington, and then a little bit in Hamilton. Any matches, you know, like their media is like sport is. <laughs> Everything. And I've had them, I had New Zealand do all sorts of things, you know, to try and find out, um, you know, they tried to say we had to have our team in earlier so they could take it back to the hotel, <laughs> that we were going to start with so they could work it out. Oh, it's, it's oh, Norma, they, they're just being innovative, huh? Sorry? <laughs> they're just being innovative. <laughs> <laughs> very, very. But the, the, the nice thing about that, I love the challenge to be innovative back yeah. and not give them a thing. So, yeah, and uh, you had to be on your toes. So, yeah, so, Tom, you really have to um, know if that was general or if it was pointed at a certain situ situation that player should have been doing. Uh, no, absolutely, absolutely. Point taken and a great point, a great point. Call, uh, Carla, uh, Norma, I wanted to ask you, I wanted to ask you one final question, which is, uh, vague and ambiguous by design, um, which is if you were to have your dream team of people, of three people, who would be in that team and why? Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is this is a hard one to drop on me, um, to be honest, Tom, because my spans in the game, you know, I mean, I played in the 75 World Series and, you know, started in um, 1960, you know, making my first little junior team. So over time I've seen some unbelievable players and you, so you're looking at different eras. And uh, I had um, a, a podcast I did with, I think it was England, and they asked me the same thing. It was really, really difficult because then, do you want me to structure it to the to the now, or do you want me to stru structure it from you know <laughs> over the years? Like, I mean, I think, I think, I think the the the, the, the yeah. I'm going to actually pull the pin on that one because I 
I think there's so many players I could put into teams that, um, and they'll all dislike me if I don't put them in. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting because because when we ask the we we ask it vaguely and ambiguously because. The, the a couple of previous guests, when they when we said their dream team, they thought it could be their dream coaching team. Uh, in fact, a few people have said their wife or their husband needs to be in their dream team, but it's fine. Oh, we won't we won't we won't put, push you into a corner. But um, and Norma really 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 enjoyed that. Uh, for someone who doesn't know a huge amount about netball, but I've watched a little bit, um, I found that unbelievably fascinating for someone who's passionate about getting teams to work and leading. So thank you. Carl, any any final thoughts from your side? No, thank you, Norma. I, I, like, I, like Tom was saying, you really do drive home the fact that coaching is, is an amazing uh, and privileged position to be in. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a pleasure to listen to you talk about it and, and, uh, and just recount some of the stories and, and the lessons that you've learned throughout the way. I've absolutely loved my career um, and uh, been lucky to coach like some of the best players in the world and, you know, have five world champions up the sleeve. And um, I just can't tell you that if I could walk out tomorrow and pick up South Africa again but didn't have to do the travelling, I'd, I'd keep doing it. But um, yeah. with this COVID, of course, you can't. Mm. But... It's just in your blood. You either love it or you don't, you know, and I absolutely love it. And so, yeah. Awesome. Um, I'll miss it when I'm not doing it, but I'll certainly always be around the game. (laughs) No, absolutely. What a beautiful way to end it. Uh, Norma, thank you so much. And uh, I hope the knee recovers nicely. And uh, you will. What's that? I'm mentoring the England coach. So I have moved on a little bit. (laughs) <laughs> oh wow oh wow but, but i'm not going to england at the moment i can assure you <laughs> no 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 well, well yeah look we we uh, uh, carl will laugh at me because we do say this to people but we would love to have you back on because i'd love to talk about some of your your coach development work and stuff but really appreciate your time for now and um yeah we look forward to chatting to you soon thank you Thanks, Norma. nice to meet you carl thank you very much norman nice to meet you too and uh stay safe yeah, and good luck with your coaching. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Norma. Have a good evening. Cheers. Bye. Carl, um, Norma Plummer, uh, look, I know your netball knowledge is not massive, but uh, <laughs> your, your, your initial thoughts on Norma? Um, just so much passion for a, for a life as a coach, Tom. I, I think um, she's, you know, and she's been able to explore so many different avenues that way and different approaches to coaching. And I think, you know, we, we spoke to Gary Gold recently about being a, you know, a coach for life and everything. And Norm is certainly one of those people's, people that completely embodies that. Uh, lessons and stories and uh, phenomenal learnings from her journey as a coach. And I think what a, what a privilege feel to have spoken to her and, and take some of those, those notes from her points. Mm, mm. no great I mean my feeling was that uh, uh, obviously a huge amount of credibility in who she is and what she's done so I think if she walks into any system she's a, she's immediately high up on the rung and that's why she she can you know her, her idea around basics and options I really liked you know like that is her big thing she knows what she's about she's got that credibility and she goes in really basic um, and then I really love the I really love the like real time feedback like I'm not going to sit and wait I'm going to tell you Carlo at half time I'm going to yeah. tell you this and I'm going 
I'm gonna I'm gonna recount the story. So uh, I'm gonna recount the story. I'm gonna recount the feedback that I need to give you. And I, I really I really enjoyed that about it. So yeah, great. Really 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 good one. And and thanks for the great questions that you that you asked. Awesome. Thank you, Tom. Thanks for another lovely episode. See you next week for another one. Okay. Cheers, bud. Cheers.